Hi, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. All right. Um, I have another fabulous panel here tonight. First of all, um, to my left is the amazing Lindsay Park. Lindsay, welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, Lindsay, um, this is something I've always known, but I think you take heat for it you, you, sometimes, unfairly. You're a believer. Sure, at yeah. At least in Yes, some, I am. And I am. and I'm not. No. But we still get along, right? We do get along. Does that impact our friendship at all? No, we usually talk on the phone every day. Yes, we do. And so, because um, some people think I'm intolerant. He does shame me every time we talk. Um, but but you get, here's can can I model how our phone conversation goes? Yes. Hi, Lindsay. This is John. Hey, John. This is Lindsay. So, did you pray to God this morning? <laughs> yeah, I did. No, no, Why'd you do that? That was pr- stupid. Did you pray to your God? Oh, yeah. No, John. We never had a problem with no, it. No, no, no. Um, but I just uh, you know so, I know this repu- this podcast knows have a reputation of being very atheistic, but. And we'll beat anybody up for anything on this podcast. Sure. Yeah. But um, the, I, I just want people to know that, that that you're a believer, and I know that. Thank you. All right. Thank you for respecting and validating me, John. Um, but speaking of non-believers, um, joining us tonight is Dan Ellis. Hi, Dan. Hi. How are you? Dan, you're the president of the Utah Atheist Association? Atheists of Utah. Atheists of Utah. All right. You do look a little godless. Well, how, yeah, I've got my... I've got my Jesus on a on a wrap. Oh yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice that. Um, it's very thanks, stylish. That's, um, how long have you been growing your beard? This is since November first. I started with the no shave November. Okay, are you going for the yeard? I'm thinking I might. I don't know though. It's getting to that. It's long enough now that it's really starting to bother me I, sometimes. I, I if know. I did that, it would be like I have to shave three times a day, so it would be like <laughs> down to my. I could wrap around, you know? He has, you guys can't see it, but this man has this nice ginger beard. It's like burning in your bosom sort of beard. <laughs> like, I expect you to carry two, like, big tablets, tablets down the mountain beard. So, Dan, there actually are atheists in Salt Lake City. A lot of them. And um, you guys are organized, and you do what? Well, we try. Baby barbecues and stuff like that? We we get together uh, quite a bit. We've got uh, two weekly coffee chats. Uh, one in Salt Lake, one in Ogden. We try to organize a monthly Good Without God event where we go and do volunteer work. Uh, we do quarterly parties. We uh, have an annual gala. We do camping trip. Uh, do you sit around making fun of people like me? All the time. Okay. <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> well, I mean, that goes both ways, right? I don't make like fun BYU. of anyone except BYU for goes both ways. all of you people. Uh, and joining us again is is um, wonderful Thane um, from the New Order Mormon um, website. Welcome back, Thane. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Um, every time I talk, Thane smirks. Um, so you remind me of my ex-wife that way. Thank you, Thane. Uh, I love you. I feel, I feel really awkward right now. Like I'm sitting in between the two of you. It's... I find you amusing. I can't help myself. <laughs> All right, so this topic, well, I guess we're, before we get into our topic, we have to cover the news, right? Uh, three news stories um, from this week. Today is April 4th, 2014. Um, in the news, just announced the University of Utah 
Oh, that's such a sweet relief when that damn Did you say today was April 4th? April 1st. Yeah, it's April 1st. Um, I thought that was like a really lame April Fool's joke that you were trying to pull on everyone. Like, today's April 4th. April Fool's. I, you know, I don't, I'm not Catholic, so I don't celebrate all the American holidays. Is that like a, is it a religious thing? Is it a saint's Are day? you guys not on the, the <laughs> internet? Like, everybody's trying to pull their big Mormon April Fool's joke. It's kind of annoying. And I'm saying that as someone who did that, who like wrote an April Fool's joke Well, myself. so th- these days it seems like people publish news stories. And then that's supposed to be funny, like false news stories. I did a hit piece on Mormon feminism. Today? Yeah, I parodied Greg Smith's hit piece on John DeWin. Greg's, oh, on, yeah. It was very did anybody, long. Did anybody, get the joke? did anybody get the joke? They did. Yeah, they did. Some people didn't, but that's okay. All right. It, well, it was it was meh funny. Well, you guys and your religious holidays, I don't I don't understand. April Fool- is All April right. Fool's a religious holiday? I'd say it's the biggest religious holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts. It begins. <laughs> Um, all right. So you, the uh, University of Utah announced that they are starting a Mormon studies minor. They're not the first one in the state. Um, that was the um, uh, UVU down in Utah County that's actually started a program. And the first uh, Mormon studies program was launched by Claremont University in um, California about 10 years ago. Of course, we know that... Um, um, D. Michael Quinn was blackballed from that position by a wealthy Mormon donor. So um, we'll see. The University of Utah is a little bit more prominent than UVU. Sorry, guys. It's true. Um, uh, um, and we'll see how that... Um, you know, universities are... There's a, there's a problem of relevancy of degrees. I don't think Mormon studies is moving us in the right direction on, on that front. Is that a real lucrative uh, line of work? Um, you know, uh, Claremont's at least a religious university, right? Yeah, but- Claremont has a has, yeah has reason for it, I suppose. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what what the the thinking is, other than they're it's like 15 credit hours, right? So they just start studying start launching some classes um you don't think it's relevant in salt lake city i think it's interesting but i don't think it's lucrative listen we have news constantly writing stories on mormons we have one peggy fletcher's no, 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 no. <laughs> one person in all of mormondom and we're gonna get to this point later in the podcast in the last five Mormonism years the new is- york times has written sorry the last 10 years new york times has written probably Seven or eight articles that I can think of on Mormons. Seven or eight or how many articles are in every issue of, 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 I'm just saying the press is interested. There are conferences here. We're a very Huffington Post. I was going to say masturbatory of, people, but that could be taken a lot of ways. We are very masturbatory we, people. We like but, to have conferences and talk about it and write books about it. There, how many Mormon publishers do you know? There's several, four or five. Well, look. The, the the amount of Mormons in the United States and the amount of uh, Jewish people in the United States is about equal. Should we see how many Jewish publishing houses there are compared to America to Mormon? How many Jewish film festivals there are compared to Mormon film festivals? I. But we're the one true. Okay, all right. Church. Checkmate. Thank you. All right. <laughs> You're welcome. So the you you uh, you. Second uh, last uh, Saturday was the women's conference, um, where the church. Brought together all women from age 8 to 80 80 or 90 or whatever, um, which is reminiscent of the Birkenhead drill, right? 
You knew it was coming. John is pretty proud of this word. I would just like to, <laughs> to say that. He's been smirking for <laughs> 10 minutes. The, so the, the Birkenhead drill, everybody knows the Birkenhead drill. It's an age-old um, tradition of maritime law, which is? Women and children. Women first. and children first. Yeah. So in the more, what, now there's a there's a there's a name for this in feminist theory that that um, women are just like um, um, sexy children. What, what, what's the what's the what's infantilizing the pedestaling? Yes, um, infantilizing, which is sort of this idea that men view women and children in the same category, that they're naive, that they're... Helpless. Helpless, that they don't really understand the world, they need to be taken care of. Pure. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. pure. Pure. Okay. Don't laugh at me when you look at me. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> so I, I think it's funny, and, and in a lot of cultures, you know, um, I've said before I studied anthropology for a while in, in, in university, and in a, a lot of cu- cultures, it's common for... Um, boys to be raised, if you have this sort of, there's women and there's men. And boys are oftentimes raised sort of as women until they hit of age, then they go off into their own, into the longhouse or whatever. They, they, that's when they separate. But sometimes they'll be dressed the same as the girls and all that kind of stuff. There's no distinction really made, um, until later. So what I think is interesting here is the church is taking eight year olds for, for the, for the girls. Um, which is still a child, right? It's not an infant, but it's still a child. But for boys, they have to be basically 12, which is about the time of puberty, right? Um, so I, the church tries, and it's, it's, it's like they, look, if you're really a bigot, you can't hide it, right? Because your attitudes really show up. And, and, and so, so what the church did, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. They took, they took the young women's, conference and the women's conference and now the young children primary or girls primary yeah. because they're the three auxiliaries of the church by the way is there anything more fucking insulting than calling everything that women do in the church an auxiliary the word auxiliary means like non-essential right yeah take that Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're speaking my language right now i have no qualms um so so i guess in all this story the thing that really bugs me is the eight-year-olds because it says so much about the way the leadership views women. Well, and one thing that they kept doing, if you listen to the conference, was addressing women as women eight and over, women eight and over, over and over and over. They called, they just, that phrase, women eight and over. And now I can't think of a better way to say it, but it's interesting that they kept calling eight-year-olds women eight and over. Yeah, there's other females. cultures that do that. Yeah, I think maybe females would be better. Well, they could say, um, well, I did. there's a whole structural problem behind this whole idea that causes a problem to, to begin with. But I think that this is, so ordained women, one of the criticisms that they got to say that they were bullying the church is, you're taking away this time from fathers and sons. This is a father and time bonding period. And so I think that this is a lot of the church's response to that, which is this is for mothers to bond with their daughters now. Yeah, I, I guess. But why the, why the age? Why going all the way down to eight-year-olds? Is it in response to the Boy Scouts? Because the, the Cub Scouts start at eight, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we have, we have not, not uh, exactly parallel, but we have programs for eight-year-old girls. Right, yeah, where you get to bake salt dough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fruit yep. or whatever. What do they, what do they do? It's called achievement Acti- days, yeah. right? 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, separate but equal. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I will say I listened to it and I was pleasantly surprised. I expected it to be a big retrenchment because of the terrible letter written to ordinary women, and you could tell that that they were trying. They they uh, included women of color in all of their speaking and their um their videos, their promotional videos. So that's a step in the right direction. There was a lot of diversity. They showed a working mother in the video, which was good. They made sure to address women and women eight and over. And then they said, if you're not a mother, blah, 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 blah. So they were letting that rhetoric kind of creep in. So there were some, there were some good things. And, and, uh, Sister Burton did not use, or Sister Oscarson did not use the primary voice, which is a huge, I know. Was she wearing pastel? You know, I don't, I don't, (laughs) probably. Um, but, but I read, I did not listen to the conference, so I'm talking out of my ass, but um, I read that the theme was making and keeping sacred covenants, which to me, I mean, what's the main covenant we make in the church, we make in the temple, is to obey. And so to me, that's a hat tip to the ordained women, because those uppity women are trying to they go did, where they should They go. did make a reference that I saw as a dig as ordained women, they said... And so this is new rhetoric, by the way, this covenant women thing. It's been something they've been doing in the last two years, covenant sisterhood, covenant women, which I actually like. I like the idea of that. But anyway, they were saying, um, and covenant women do not see, feel the need to seek attention or um, make a big show out of things. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> they know their place. That's, isn't that what that means? No. Well, and then the, the, the reverse side, they were going over, there was a big focus on discipleship, and they were saying disciples um, do this humbly. They do this quietly. They, do, they don't make a big deal out of it. They're submissive, you know, that kind of rhetoric. So, <laughs> All right. Well, good. Good for them. Bless yes. their hearts. Bless their oh, hearts. All right. So third story. Um, this actually, according to Carrie Jenkins, the um, spokesman for BYU. Who knew the BYU spokesman was a woman? Um, the spokesman for BYU. Uh, Look how equal we are. Yay. We, we are. I think almost, you mean spokesperson. Almost to 1950 <laughs> here in the state of Utah. We're <laughs> progressing. Um, so... Can't you be happy for anything, John? No. Come on. That's that's what we always hear. Um, so you be a woman and you complain about it. I would. So um, the, the decision was made by the university. They said on January 1st that they will no longer um, publicly um, shame athletes, basically. Um, so when, when an athlete, you know... Um, Gets a little, get a little something, something at a party on a Saturday night. In the past, BYU's policy has been honest to God. They, they actually acknowledge it. Their policy has been in, in the, in interest of transparency that they would tell you that they were kicking this athlete out because he was out fucking in the back 40. And they would, they would let that be known, right? It was what BYU would do. And now in 2014, they decide it's not a bad, not a good idea to, <laughs> to, to, um, shame their, their, their athletes. Um, okay, so I didn't read this story. Are you – you said athletes. Only athletes? Well, the only athletes are the only <laughs> ones that people care about. Those are the ones that hit the – They're still going to kick you out of school. They're just not going to publicize uh, it. According to Jenkins, um, um, 
that neither the spokesman nor any administrator will acknowledge whether a student has been disciplined by the honor code office unless, unless the student announced a transgression publicly or it is a matter of public rest, uh, record, such as in the case of a And then the gloves come off. So they're going to hold a press conference. They always hold a press conference, right? And they say, oh, so-and-so has to step down off the team because they violated the honor code. they say code. they're not going to do that anymore. The, so the they're coach, just going to disappear. The coach no is just going to say this yeah, is a how, coach's how, issue. How are they going to explain their absence from game? Well, this is this is why the church gets itself painted in corners all the time. Because what you, here's how you really do it: you don't bother with it. You, know, you don't worry about. Um, so, but the, what the church? I mean, in in a way, this is even more sinister because now with the the church, BYU is basically saying we don't have to say why we're redu- eliminating these athletes. So they can eliminate them for any reason, said or unsaid, and just say no comment. And and they can hide under this policy. So they could potentially get rid of them for any reason. Um, and and the implication is going to be they were fornicating, right? That's what everybody's going to think, you know? It's like when you come home from your mission. Right. You're either right. mentally ill or a masturbator. One well, that kind of puts the onus on the... On the... On, on the player to explain their absence right now they have to go you know because they don't yeah. want wild which was it? are you mentally ill to... or a masturbator <laughs> fess up now so it, it's just it's just funny to watch these really really old-fashioned ideas that most people have given up hundreds of years ago and trying to make them work in the modern world of press conferences and the internet and it just just stop just stop just stop it it's so easy for them. But let's be clear. Mormon athletes at BYU aren't usually sleeping around, right? Well, and this wouldn't be just for the Mormon athletes. This would be for all athletes, right? Because all athletes have to obey the honor code. The honor well, and they all do, right? It's all students, but we all know that the jocks are the ones getting it. So that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> all right. Well, those are the stories for this, <laughs> this week in Mormonism. See, we have stories every week, and you're saying there's no need for a minor in, in Mormon studies? <laughs> no, I said it doesn't pay Bam. any money. I mean, uh, that's, that's the difference. All right. When has academia ever paid money? That's, that's money ever. in the bank right there. Um, Will you come to my business and show me that on your resume? We That's would like money. the first. We would like to invite the first uh, minor graduate to come in here and give the news. Cast sure, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Let's do that. Um, yeah, we should go fact, crash those do classes. The first whole can't twenty we? minutes. Yeah. Can we go sit in the back? Yeah, we can um, coffee. The, and... the first class they actually announced was going to be the Book of Mormon is literature. Oh God! As if literature classes aren't boring enough. Can you imagine? <laughs> Phil Barlow. What did, what did Twain he's call it? Teaching that at USU though. Chloroform. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, Twain Ooh. called it chloroform in print, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. So let's, uh, let's get going with the podcast. Um, so, um, two weeks ago, um, there was a big, um, kerfuffle that sort of fell, uh, an angel fell from the sky, um, the, with a, with a small thud when, um, the Tom Phillips case. Lindsay is always making obscene hand gestures on this podcast, just because the audience can see what you're doing. <laughs> I didn't do anything this time. The, I swear, my hands are where everyone can see them. Okay, so 
the Tom Phillips case, which to interview um, um, Tom Phillips and some other blokes in in England, decide, that was a cultural reference. See, <laughs> nice. I'm multicultural. That was good. They, they decided to sue um, Thomas. Mo- well, they they decided to basically convene a grand jury for prosecution of Thomas Monson and the church for fraud. Of course, um, it didn't get past the the first day hearing, and it was on dubious um, legal grounds that the church had committed any fraud. And we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Um, what, what more concerns me is that a lot of people, understandably, sort of got their hopes up around this case. Um, there was a lot of um, drum banging on the Internet and a lot of internal posting and, and just this excitement and kind of fervor. Um, launched up on the boards. Did you see it on, on any of the boards that you were monitoring? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it, what annoyed me about the board that I, uh, habitate is that, uh, we have to have three or four discussions. There's, there's, um, six or seven sub forums on my board. And we've got a discussion going parallel on all of them, you know, and it's like, can't we just have one discussion about this and, and be done? And, and a lot of the discussion is good. And we'll come back to that. The idea is, is it a fraud? What constitutes fraud? Do, when does religious belief become dishonest? These are, these are all fascinating questions. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the, the, uh, for a lot of the folks, it sort of crossed over with a lot of emotion. Um, and, and I mean, I, I experienced this myself because I, of course, <laughs> wrote an essay where I said, um, that I didn't agree with the Tom Phillips case based on the fact that you don't perse- persecute people in the courts for things they believe. I, I, I'm, I don't like that. And that has nothing to do with Mormonism. In, in my mind, it has to do with hauling people before the tribunal and making them confess their belief and then saying that's either kosher or it's not kosher. So you're going to the rack. That thing doesn't, that thing doesn't sit well with me. And, and any reminiscence of that, um, taking away free speech, that, that's what bothered me. So I put that essay up. And I, and in the first paragraph, the essay said, I hate religion. Religion sucks. I wish it would go away. And then here's why I'm against this case. And, um, people got really upset with me, um, um, and called me names. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> my favorite accusation was that you are defending religion and, um, decrying any sort of effort that would try to bring religion down. Right, right. The, and was, someone said, someone do you even know mad. about Mormonism? Yeah, yeah. Someone asked me if I knew about Mormonism. And somebody else said, what, what have you ever done? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, but, Internet, you're always so full of fun. And, and uh, <laughs> this isn't for big sympathy. I'm just trying to illustrate that that there's a lot of emotion caught up in this. And that under, that emotion is completely understandable. We've all experienced and felt that. that. Um, so, so I decided to, to um, discuss now what? Now what? The, the case is over. Um, and the church is not true. Now what? Now what do we do? Um, because I think there's a lot of actions that we do take, all of us, including me, and I'm not going to throw any, I'm not going to point any fingers tonight of things that I have not done over and over and over again. Every sin that I'm going to outline here, I am as guilty of as anybody, and probably more so. Um, but there is something to be said for actually doing things and not just trying to do things. I'm going to give three examples. Um, uh, for some of us who are older, um, you'll remember in the mid-80s there was a big famine in North Africa, and it was personified by Ethiopia. 
And we saw a lot of images of these children starving. Um, and they were just heart-wrenching. And there was a big call for action. How can we all just eat and drink and be happy when there's people starving in Ethiopia? People don't generally talk about the follow-up of what happened. What happened is there was a lot of money gathered together and a lot of food was gathered together. There were two outcomes in Ethiopia. One, there was a big baby boom. People had a lot of food and there was a, uh, there was a big rebound birth effect that exceeded the carrying capacity of Ethiopia. So if the problem is famine, i.e. there's not enough food to feed the population by giving food to the population, although nobody wants anybody to starve. Let me, I'm, I'm not advocating that, that we just let people die off. But the, the reaction is, oh, somebody's starving, let's give them food. And so we had a, a, a boom. The second big thing that happened in, e- in Ethiopia is a lot of the resources were diverted by gangsters. There was a huge rise in, um, in organized crime. Um, because all these, now suddenly there were, there are cargo planes and warehouses full of clothing and food and money. And you can bet that those things, um, can fall into the wrong hands. So here's something that we ostensibly saw this problem, you know, all over television and we wanted to fix it. And the fix is, well, let's fix it. People are starving. Give them food. But it caused, it caused lots of problems. I saw a, um, I saw a documentary um, years ago, and I, I wish I could find it. It talked about these um, basically trust fund children, people who are really, really, really super rich, um, the type of people that you and I will never meet in our lifetime, who have great big sums of money. And there was this collective of these folks that they would, they would meet together um, to try, and they met with all sorts of financial planners. They basically had a high-level charity. And they were trying to figure out how to change the world, how to do be, how to do things for good. The problem is that I'd never even considered until I saw this that if you have a lot of money, you have tons of money. Um, this negative effect. I mean, you can wipe out hunger, right? In theory, there's people in the United States today who have enough money to wipe out hunger in, in the world. But how do you do it without causing the problem to worsen? All of Ethiopia. How do you do, how do you get the money there without, um, breaking down these, these infrastructures? And related, there is an ongoing problem in Africa, sometimes called the textile problem. Um, it's referred to else, uh, other things. But basically, the, the theory is that a, a market needs some fundamentals to, to get started. And one of the first things that a market needs is textiles and food. That's the basic foundation of building up you know, your economy. And so what, 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 what economists say is that Americans in particular are shitting all over Africa all the time because we keep dumping all of our clothing and we keep dumping food there, which, which on, on the one hand comes from a good place. It's like, this is our secondhand stuff. We're going to take it there. But what happens is if there, if all the t-shirts are free, then you can't start a legitimate business selling and manufacturing T-shirts and people can take those big uh, truckloads of T-shirts and then once again divert them for criminal sort of gain. Lindsay, you were shaking your head at me. No, I, I mean, I, I'll let you tie this back into where we were going, but I know, I know a little bit about the conflict in Africa. Not, not a lot about it, but I co-founded a group called Utah for Congo because when I was first uh, transitioning in my faith, I dumped all my 
extra calling hours into this organization to raise money for post-rape survivors in the DRC. So I was doing it out of a good motivation, right? Like, oh, there's mass rape going on. There's millions of people being slaughtered and no one's talking about it. So let's go raise money and give it to them. So I did the same thing. As I started to investigate the conflict and understand it more, which I still don't understand it, um, it's so, so complicated, I realized that part of the problem was us. It was the idea of wanting to help the white person, the white wealthy person, wanting to help the black poor person in Africa. And that's what got Africa in the problem, in the problems that it has now in the first place. We had, you know, to, in Congo specifically, we had King Leopold of, um, Denmark saying, Hey, let's go in there and, uh, civilize the, the native. And so we went in and we civilized them. And what did we do? We stole their resources and their land and we cut off their hands and stole their rubber and all of that. And now it's chaos. And so we do that now as, so you're saying it's out of good intentions. Yeah. We, we steal the resources constantly from Africa. The Ivory Coast has cocoa, cocoa beans and chocolate run by child slaves. We steal all of the, the conflict minerals for our cell phones and our computers. And then we're sitting here in our nice warm houses and we say, what can we do to feel better about ourselves? Let's go help the black people yeah. in Africa. So we, we see a problem and they're, 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 it comes from a good place and we want to solve it. But I think, Lindsay, you make a great point. Not only do we not fix the problem, we oftentimes compound it. Another common example is handing out money to people on the streets. Um, study after study after study after study shows that this has a negative effect, both on the person, on the community, on the drug environment, all, all these sort of things. It's not the thing to do. And, but it gives us this immediacy. That, that, that we like. It gives us this return that makes us feel good. Like it really feels like we're doing something. But my, my point in all this is we, we give so much credence to intent and, but that's a juvenile way of looking at the world. I'm saying you have to look beyond your good intention and say, what am I really doing? And that's, that's the mature thing to do and know that your actions really are important. I've been in working in the business environment for a lot of years and as a project manager. And, and one of the chief skills I think that, that I had to learn that, that, that good project managers have is knowing when to do nothing. And it's, it's part of the, um, Hippocratic oath of the doctors. First do no harm. Um, which, which I, I want to talk about tonight that if, if we have this good intention, we want to change things. We first need to fir- not Fuck things up more than they already are. That's that's our, our first rule. Okay, so um, I, I frame this with the problem of the church. The problem of the church. The problem of the church is that the church exists. Okay? Um, and it's really a tricky problem because the church is not its people, as they, they'll tell you. Because <laughs> people are basically good or good-intended and I, I know I disagree with a lot of ex-Mormons about this, but I believe that almost all the leadership of the church, almost everybody, operates from a, a place of good intent, marred by selfishness, but good intent. So, so I, I think that's extremely common. And I don't think that 
you can paint the church leaders fairly as saying these guys have like criminal intent of manipulating all of us. I think everybody from the top down is trying to do something they see as good, um, which makes our position hard because we're attacking people who are operating from a good position. But like we just illustrated in the beginning of this podcast, that's not sufficient grounds for excusal for whatever you're doing. Just that you intended to do good doesn't excuse it. So the problem with the church is that there's all these people who are sort of addicted to it. Um, and it causes, um, because of the way the church is structured, it causes net harm. Now, does it have to? No. And that's where reformers would come in and say, well, let's go in and change, and change the, 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 the religion. Myself, as um, a, a pretty strong atheist, and I don't believe in any sort of metaphysics, um, I would think that, that the religions, we'd be better off without them with the caveat that we replace them with something else. And and we'll get there as we go through the rest of this discussion. Because just tearing them down doesn't do us good. Yeah, I, I think that the problem of religion is the opportunity cost. It's uh, every you know dozen hours that you spend in the Relief Society or the Elders Quorum is a dozen hours that you didn't spend at the soup kitchen or – you know, Habitat for Humanity or, or something like that. Right. And, and religions, one of the negatives is, is kind of a masturbatory negative. It's about the ninth time we've said that tonight is, is you start doing things that are just self-serving. Um, you, you, you start, um, setting up and taking down chair. Well, that, that maybe that's, that's a good thing. Um, Going to the temple is a you know you build temples you all walk to the temple you sit in the temple you watch the movie in the temple you go home from the temple you buy temple clothes and it just becomes this great big huge circle jerk that's not really accomplishing anything except keeping people busy say well they're not out like um you know uh, whatever not people being do. religious <laughs> yeah they're not out hiking or whatever yeah <laughs> that's why it was appealing to me so, because things were a lot simpler then. To go back to this Congo thing, I had a second crisis of faith, if you will, once I realized that I was complicit in the in the problems in the DRC, that I was consuming stuff. And I was like, no, no, I thought I was doing something good. In the church, it was easy. You go to the homeless shelter, you serve up the soup kitchen, and you're like, I did my good deed. I feel good. But once you realize that all problems are super complicated and that we're all complicit in these problems... That's a lot to take, and there's no there's no like good answer for it either. Uh, absolutely, and sometimes we try to just ignore it. You know, like I try to buy New Balance shoes because I know New Balance um, tries doesn't doesn't use child labor. At least they didn't last time I checked. Who knows? They may have a new CEO, and it's, maybe that whole thing has changed. But that. That that doesn't excuse that everything else I'm wearing was made with with child labor. I'm complicit in this. Go ahead. Well, um, I'm just going to comment. I think it was Dan who was talking about spending time doing one thing, and that keeps you from spending time doing something else. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it goes beyond that. It's it's about just defining virtues or defining morality. You spend all this time and all this energy on these things that that the religion, you know, out of obedience or you know, for example, the word of wisdom, not drinking coffee. I'm a moral person because I don't drink coffee. Um, and so you spend your energy working on those kinds of things instead of spending your energy working on things that are actually moral, helping people, um, trying to make the world a better place, um, trying to save the environment, you know, whatever. And it just seems one of, one of the problems I see with the religion is that it, it creates all these false virtues 
when, and, and then ignores things that are actually virtuous, that actually make sense, that actually do some tangible good. Yeah, I think Word of Wisdom is a nice, uh, a nice parallel to, you know, what Tom, or Tom, what John was saying about, uh, about, uh, you know, the temple. It's like, it doesn't really accomplish anything. The, the fact that I don't drink coffee, you know, probably doesn't even make me more healthy, but it certainly doesn't make me more virtuous. You guys are exactly right, but let's, let's be careful. Because I haven't met a single atheist who doesn't do this exact same thing. They'll tell you, hey, now I go hiking and I watch Cosmos. Oh, yeah, thanks for helping the world. You know, you, you were out hiking. Wonderful. Oh, you, good. Well, yeah. How's that different from going to the fucking temple? It's self, I, it's more enjoyable, right? It's, it's more interesting, but you're not really impacting the world in a positive way by hiking through the foothills. Um, and you're not really impacting the world in a positive way by just consuming more pop cultural science stuff. That doesn't make you a great person, and it doesn't really contribute to the world in, in a real way. Thank you, Bishop, for making us feel guilty. <laughs> no, I want to push back on that even further, though. And Wait, I don't you want to push back on me? I want to push back on all of us. Oh, okay, good. It's not a simple narrative of like, yeah, the church is so dumb. Like, what they think is moral is not moral. It wastes our time. First of all, the temple isn't worthless. It has a function. It just might not be for the greater good. Second of all, we can't pretend that we know what morality and virtue is because, like I said, I could tell you, I'm going to go, you know, stop rape in the Congo, and you'd be like, yay, Lindsay, that's awesome. And then you realize, wait a minute, like the way my intentions and my methods can actually cause a lot more harm. Well, that, that that's key. And I, I think... When we talk, uh, the, the word we use is define morality, which I think is important to do. This is an important intellectual exercise. Don't get me wrong. I like to hike. I like to watch. Well, I haven't watched the cos. I tried to watch the old Cosmo show. Man, it was boring. I think you have to smoke pot to enjoy the Cosmo. <laughs> Cosmo. Like Carl Sagan. You, you know, it's like you have to be on the same plane. Oh, you, know? you don't mean that. Carl Sagan was a big pothead. Everybody I knows that. I just want to snuggle him. He's so cute. <laughs> pot and snuggling go together very well, Lindsay. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay, so... Um, so, so these things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's just, do they make any change? Because that's what we're talking about tonight. It's like, not, not are these things entertaining, but what really makes change? But do you have to? I mean, do you, that's a very Mormon idea that like you have to get out and put your shoulder to the wheel and get stuff done. You don't have to, but the point, the point is, if you want to make change, there's things that really don't make change. And I think this is a good segue into our, our, our next section, which is what are the tendencies? What am I talking about? What am I talking about that people are doing that they think makes change, that they think is impacting the world in some way, but it's really not? Is it entertaining? Sure. Is it social? Okay, great. Does it help build friendships and give you something to do on a Saturday night? Wonderful. But are you, are you, are you dealing with the problem of the church? The, the problem that the church exists because a lot of people will get on in, on in these sort of things we're going to talk about and they'll talk about really how they want to bring down the church and blah, blah, blah. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to change the world. And is, is it accomplishing that? But I think to your point, if, if, if you're just going to the temple, well, go to the temple. Fine. Whatever. No, I just think everybody needs to go throw it and live in the woods and drink your own pee and leave everybody alone and throw it. <laughs> did, did, I didn't catch that. Did Thoreau drink his own pee? No. I missed that part of the book. No, but times change, and, and, and millions of people going into the woods would cause some problems. So I'm just trying to. Is this more do of your pork ethically. and porn stuff? 
Yeah. Well, oh, that's a reference to the before the podcast, yeah, right? Before uh, the podcast. Sorry, guy, everybody. Before we hit record. Um, so one of the problems we have today, and social media is really compounding this, is the tendency to surround ourselves with others. This is, and remember, we're talking about making change in the world, making the world a better place. This does not help make the world a better place. And Google does it to you all the time, and Facebook does it. It'll start trimming your your posts and what you're seeing in your feed, so you're just getting your opinions shoveled right back at you, which we know psychologically just confirms your own bullshit ideas and makes you feel like you're not alone in your narcissism, and then you feel like there's a big club of you, and wow, the world is changing, because look at all of us. We all share the same opinion, but... It's really hard to get outside those walls. Right. And everybody on my Facebook feed thinks, thinks the same thing that I do. Right, right. I'm awesome. Yeah, or, or this one you'll see on the boards about once a month. Somebody will pop up uh, a, 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 um, screenshot of Google and they'll say, look what's number one in the search. If you search for this term, if you search for a term Mormon, look at all these anti-Mormon sites you get. Let me tell you something about how Google works. Google tells you what it thinks you want to hear. And, um, and we can really be surrounded by that. Why does this, wh- wh- why does this matter? Let's go back to the Tom Phillips case. Mormons and ex-Mormons were saying the same thing. Oh, the world's going to see us and they're going to, you know, this is going to make an impact. The world doesn't give a fuck about Mormonism. And it doesn't, it doesn't, that, that was completely like off base for, for, um, let uh, look, uh, um, uh, I just Googled Mormon and one of the first things is Mormon masturbation. So what does that say about me? Says, You've been mentioning look, masturbation Nobody a gets lot to see my search history. <laughs> right? No one, my search history is completely <laughs> off bounds to anybody. I'm one of those guys that people get their device and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Um, I clean it though. Don't worry. I clean it. Um, so, so, so the, the, the the, the Phillips case, people were thinking, well, now the world is going to see that Mormonism is not true. No, the world already knows that Mormonism is not true. That's not up for question. And they, they, they really don't care. The, the, the reason the, the case made national press was not because suddenly we're going to find out all these, these tricky things about Mormons that they believe that the world's only 6,000 years old. What the world's going to find out is, really? Can you sue somebody for that? That's why it was interesting. It really had nothing to do with Mormonism. But we, we surround ourselves with these people who share our opinion. It starts getting us this inflated view of our opinion. And then we just start bouncing our opinions back and forth between one another. Well, I, I would like to say that when I, I spent a few years and sometimes it creeps up on me to this feeling of like, I am going to tell somebody who's arguing with me about Fanny Alger and then you will all know where I'm coming from because Joseph Smith slept with a 16 year old girl. Bam! What are you going to do now? But it doesn't change anything, right? You try to give... Like, my neighbor came over and I was like, why aren't you going to church? And I was like, well, let me tell you about Fanny Alger. Nothing. Like, nothing. Nobody cares. It's that need, that need to prove people wrong, to to prove them right. And I think that that comes from our very Mormon uh, need that we have where everything is true or false. We testify of the truth. Everything has to be true. And so we just kind of reverse it. I think you're right that Mormons aren't very nuanced, but this is not a Mormon thing. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree. But I think that you can't discount the fact that you spend your entire life being told that you know the truth and you have to tell everybody the truth. Mormon Expression is a listener-funded program. If you like what you hear, please visit us at mormonexpression.com and consider becoming a subscribing member. While you're there, let us know what you think about the show. 
Well, and this is my second thing. So, so the number one thing we do that, that, that doesn't really change anything is surrounding ourselves with others. The second one is debating. Now, I have been debating and thinking about debating and all, and you want to make another masturbation on, no, joke, don't no. you think? <laughs> um, for a long time, since high school. And one of the first rules of a debate is you're never, you're never debating your opponent. You're talking to the audience. And you can tell the difference between good orators and bad orators because they forget and they start talking to the person that they're talking to. That's not their audience. Because every good debater knows you're never going to win your opponent over. It's just an impossible thing. So what you're saying is if you're not a master debater, you're just struggling with yourself? That's what he was saying. <laughs> is that well what you're saying? Well that played. was that. Yes, that was well done. No, I, I, I would say that, that um, you're never going to convince anybody of your opinion by direct confrontation. That does not work. Be they your family, be they your spouse, be they people. Anybody that's been married knows that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't happen. And so many people, you see people come onto the boards, whatever, and say, How, what, what do I say to my, to my, my, um, to my mom, to my dad, yeah, to my kids. nothing. There's nothing you can say to somebody directly to make them change their opinion. It uh, just, it doesn't I happen. I don't think their, I don't think their opinion or their mind is going to change overnight, but I think, I think it's addressing a pattern of behavior. It's, it's the same thing as training dogs or anything else. Not that, you know, I want to <laughs> equate people with, with dogs or anything necessarily, but, I mean, it's it's providing a structure and and addressing specific types of behavior. You can alter the behavior that ultimately leads to a change. I agree. I agree with what, exactly what you're saying. But by confronting them on their beliefs, I think that's rare, rare, rare that 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 works. Because because we just as human beings, we do post hoc reasoning. Um, if you want to understand humans, that you come to a conclusion, then you find reasons for it. And that's how everybody thinks. So when you make them change their conclusion, they're just going to find new reasons. Or you don't. There's a whole scholarship department at BYU that does that, I think. There's more than one. <laughs> um, so so it, it just, to me, it's, and, and, and somebody come anecdotally and say, well, yeah, well, I talked to my brother and he's, okay, so it, it does happen, right? But statistically, the odds are against you. And it just, it just an, annoys people. Um, so, so this, this idea of direct confrontation, hell, that's what the church does, right? Sending all these missionaries out and, and, and doing all this stuff. Um, trying and, to change people. And I, the, what's the average per missionary? It's three to four converts. But what's the secret that every, every missionary knows? Those aren't normal people. <laughs> well, and that's what the Tom Phillips case was for a lot of people that I saw. He was going to be the savior coming in to finally, you know, burst open the clouds and show everybody and it make you know he was going to make a fool out of the church and people could finally see your family members that have been arguing with you and shaming you would finally see that you were right and and I understand the need behind that so I don't want to make light of that but what that does is it just reinforces the church's narrative that's all it does it reinforces or they alter the narrative. What if, what if tonight we all went home and saw on the news that definitively they, they proven that there was no big bang, that the universe was steady state? How many of you would change your, your, you'd suddenly go get baptized in some religion? I don't think so. But that's a, that's a key element of the sort of the scientific narrative and something you hear people going back to again and again and again in a quasi religious way, the big bang. But I dare say that it wouldn't change hardly anybody's opinion, at least not in the, the immediacy. They would just reconstruct a new narrative. I, it wouldn't make me if, – if I found that out, it wouldn't make me believe in God. 
I would, but I would ch- completely change my my a lot of my beliefs about time and space and 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 things like that. But it's not about like, oh well, then then the Hare Krishnas are right. You know, it's it's not like a a connection like that that's made. No, so, but what I was trying to get at is, if you really want to stick it to the church, you stop reinforcing their power and. Reinforcing their power is sticking to that narrative of it's all true or it's all false. That's the church's narrative. That's not our narrative. That's the church's narrative that they give you. And so as long as you're still playing that game and you're saying, yeah, I'm going to show the prophets are wrong or I'm going to do this or do that with the church, you're just reinforcing their power. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like it's just saying the church yep. is already really good at marginalizing the anti Mormons and everybody's an anti Mormon that's not. You know, if you're not following the party line, you're an anti-Mormon. So people like you and I mm-hmm. are anti-Mormons, even though I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty laissez-faire. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to tear down the and church. And that's why I reject that narrative, because I, I don't even like the term ex-Mormon. And I'm sorry, I understand if people want to identify with that. But I don't, because that's the church's narrative. That's not my narrative. My narrative is I grew up Mormon. So um, I consider myself Mormon. I don't attend. I don't believe a lot of things, but they don't get to tell me that I'm Mormon or not Mormon. That's their narrative. And I understand if you don't want to identify with that. But to me, saying I'm ex-Mormon uh, justifies their narrative that Anti-Mormon. you're either with us or against us. Right. You're Anti-Mormon in the church or out is, of the church. That, that's my beef. I don't want to be uh, uh, labeled an anti-Mormon because I'm not. Right, everybody in my family's Mormon. Well, and and these structures so the church has constructed are very clever. You can't break out of them, right? This is I've said this before. The one thing the church does really well is deal with apostasy. It's been doing it since day one. I think the second member who joined. <laughs> yeah, but if more of us, if more people stopped following that narrative and said, "I have to leave the church," I'm not, and I'm saying, live your life however you want. I'm not telling you how to live your life, but stop playing into that narrative because it reinforces their power structure. Like, be who you want to be. Sure. Well, I come in on that. I think when you can call yourself an ex-Mormon or a post-Mormon or whatever, you're still defining your whole life against that whole Mormon narrative. Sure. And I think what Lindsay was saying, you can't really escape it. Um, I mean, we're all here. Here we all are. I mean, <laughs> you know, most of us are former Mormons, however we define ourselves. But here we are in this room talking about it, even though I've... I, left the church like, you know, 14 years ago, 15 years ago. and But here I am just recently. I've kind of become interested in it again because I can't really get away from it. Well, it's I think still that, a part of who I am. That's well, a, you, yeah, you've, you've left the church, but you can't leave it alone. <laughs> I can't leave it alone. <laughs> oh, it's back to masturbation again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, I mean, this, the same thing, same thing goes, um, you know, I get that, que- that question asked, especially people who are meeting me um, socially. Because they think I'm going to just talk about the church all the time. Listen, I hate the church. Meaning, I hate talking about the church. Like, I, it doesn't, uh, I do this, and for some of the reasons we're going to talk about here, because I believe in what we're trying to accomplish in helping people. I could move to New Zealand and never hear another thing about Mormonism the rest of my life and be perfectly happy. And if you look at the arc of the podcasts, um, over the past year or so, you'll notice that I talk less and less about the church. I talk about issues that the church embodies but doesn't own. These issues we're talking about tonight, they're not strictly Mormon issues. But I, I think it's important that we do what we do to help. And, and, and that's, that's where I'm at today. So I, I think, I think there's, there's this right thing that, that, cause, cause I borderline, I cross between these edges of some of the things I'm talking about here of this sort of, we're, we're just, 
falling into the church's narrative. We're, we're playing out this eternal battle, you know, like in Pirates of the Caribbean. We're just going to fight forever because we're all immortal. Um, and, and I know I'm playing into that narrative. And the reason I do it is because it, in my opinion, it helps people process themselves out of the church. I get no pleasure at all from attacking the church. And frankly, it's kind of boring to me. Well, and I have to say, talking about you, so I'm involved with a lot of different Mormon groups and Mormon studies groups, and John is often ostracized because he has picked a position and stuck with it, which is interesting because um, I don't consider you an angry ex-Mormon. I, I know people listening to the podcast might think that because you, it's all about Mormon issues, but I think that you have to... <laughs> I mean, you you speak to an audience, and I think that that's helpful. But you are ostracized in the community a little bit because you're so critical of the church. And I'm kind of a dick, too. I, so. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but okay. Um, or at least I play one on the radio. Go ahead, Thane. No, I was going to – that's my point is uh, – Jones he, he's ostracized. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stress this enough. <laughs> no, that uh, um, you're you're perceived that, that way because you're so persistent. You know, you've been doing the podcast for four or five years. We're coming up on five years. Yeah. So I, I think that's the reason you're perceived as, you know, the angry ex-Mormon uh, because you're so doggone persistent in talking about it. And And, you know, I mean – you know, I'm the same way. I've been I've been running the board for as long as you've been running the podcast, and you know, I I I feel the same way as you. Uh, I could go to New Zealand, leave the board behind, never talk about Mormons. That'd make me happy. But isn't the angry ex Mormon thing? That's also the Mormon Church's narrative. I mean. Mormons, what Mormons never get angry. Glenn Beck, have you watched his show? Have you yeah, seen I mean, how he rants? It's a, he's it's, not an angry. I guess he's an angry, angry Mormon. Mormon. It's it's a cliche, but it's true. Ex Mormons are angry because they were angry as Mormons. Um, and, and or there's things, there's legitimate things to be angry about, and anger is not really perceived well. So what do we do? We shove it down with yeah, pills and yeah. you know, right. so pornography. So, so this this transition. That we, we flirt with things that work and things that don't. And the reason I, I bring that to me personally, because I, I know that this podcast has that. And there's people who can be listening right, who will be listening right now who will say, well, you're doing exactly what you're criticizing. Yes. I will acknowledge that to, to an extent. We do. We do echo chambery things. We get panelists full of people who are just like, you're the master. Go on. And, and, and that happens. Um, but it's, it's hopefully to, to accomplish something else. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, to reiterate, uh, these things can have individual usefulness. So people who get on the boards or in these Facebook groups, um, those groups are helpful on that individual for helping them process through and deconstruct their own faith, which is very important. So I'm not, I don't want this stuff to go away. And just full disclosure, you run a Facebook group. I helped start two of the biggest Mormon Facebook groups online you're part of a board i'm sure your online activities i'm in lots of groups <laughs> so it's not like we're we're saying don't do that we're not trying to shame you for doing that right but but it's it's this gear change to say that helps on the individual but we do have an opportunity i think at this juncture in history um i i, I know i've said this before but i'll repeat it religion co-ops are natural evolutionary biases, our natural evolutionary tendency for shared narrative, for shared culture, for helping one another. 
And the problem is it drains a lot of resources, just like the, the temple. Temples are pretty, but they're taking tons of resources that could be used elsewhere. And they also um, perpetuate negative um, psychological patterns. Um, you know, they, these, these tropes like women are second class and if you touch yourself, God hates you and, and all these things that, 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 that get out there and into people's psyche. That's why religions are dangerous. So that's why we, that's why we, we want to fight against them. Um, at least some of us do. We, we, and by fight against them, I really think, and this is a real transformation for me over the past five years. This is a preview to my things I disagree with me about, but, this moving from the, the 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 individual to the, the the outside. What really can we make change about? How do we really build a better world? Okay, so let's start talking about things that actually work. And and uh, so we've talked about this sort of echoey chamber effect, attacking people, making fun of people, ridicule. These things might make us feel better in the short run. They really don't make change, in, in my opinion. They don't, they don't, they don't change the scene at all. And, and, and we've talked about ways they actually enforce it because religions are good at playing the martyr and they love to be the martyr. And, and especially Mormons, they love to be picked on. Oh man, oh man. That makes them happy. So what things actually work out in the world? I think the first thing is organization works. Um, when you see things that really start happening, it's because there is an organized effort as human beings. We are collective animals, and we work best when there's a collective. If doctors just started willy-nilly saying, um, the third world has problems, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to start extracting teeth, it's not nearly as effective as if they go and sign up for Doctors Without Borders and they work with that organization to be assigned a place and they collectively pool their efforts. That makes a big difference. Where oftentimes just going out and just thrashing individually um, makes a little difference. So, so organizations exist for a reason. There is a reason that there's all these corporations in the United States. You know, we talk about corporate power. Corporations exist because they are extremely powerful. Human beings, when they organize themselves, and there's economies of scale and different elements like that that make things work tons better. The problem that we have in this sort of ex-Mormon world, and, and I know I'm, uh, Dan, I know atheists have this problem too, is there's a certain anarchist bent of, of these positions. Oh, and, yeah. and there's people who just hate any sort of organization. Yeah, you know, I, I hear from people all the time who join our group and then complain that we have a group. Yes. You know, it, that, that kind, that kind of thing really, really bothers me. Like if you're, if you're upset that we have a group or that we have meetings or that we get together and want to socialize, then don't come to them. Right, right. But don't, don't bitch, don't, you know, don't join the group and then bitch to me that we have a group that you just joined. They, they, they expect things to happen, you know, like that there's going to be an organization that meets in some club somewhere or a party at somebody's house. But they forget that that's somebody's house, right? Somebody bought the solo cups, right? <laughs> somebody brought that big jug of vodka. And, yeah, they, um, they, it's, it's like they think that all of those supplies, all that organization, all the time spent putting all of that together just fell off a truck, you know, fall, falls out of a tree, grows on a tree, falls off a truck, whatever. They don't, they don't stop to think about all of the time and effort and planning that goes into all of these types of activities and all of the money that's needed too. You know, everybody bitches all the time that, oh, well, gosh, you know, I have to pay for a membership. I have to pay to go to a convention. I have to pay to come to one of your parties. Well, fuck yeah, you do because we have to pay to, to put these things on. Right. Well, Mormons, I have a spoiler alert for you. There is no one true organization. Every single organization has problems, 
mistakes, things that work sometimes, things that don't work. Every single organization. So just get used to it. Life's hard and then you die. Well, and, and I think related to some of our complaints, um, I get, I get a fair amount of hate mail. Um, and, and, uh, um, most of it comes from people who not, um, opposed to me. I don't get hate mail from Mormons. Never have, never will. I get hate mail from people who think I should have done something that I didn't do. And it's oftentimes from people who, they, they see the organization, they see something that, 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 that should happen. Like, Dan, I'm sure you've seen this happen before where, like, you might rent out the back of a, a bar or something. Costs a hundred dollars. So you put out in jar and say, this costs a hundred dollars. Can everybody give five bucks? Well, you'll have people who'll be like, five bucks? How dare, how dare you, sir? The gall. Yes. We, no, there's churches down the street who collect five dollars. We are not a church, sir. Um, that's the first line of attack you'll get. Then the second line of attack you'll get is you'll get a call from somebody saying, Hey, you know how you were at Legends? I want us to go over and we'll, we'll meet it. We'll meet at Forage. Um, because hey, I gave you five bucks last time. So now I get to tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, this is a common one I get. I don't mean to, to complain about people, but I get people complaining to me to say, Sir, I gave you five dollars. And I want you to, people ask me, the, there's a portion of the population that thinks I'm their fucking research assistant. You would be surprised how often I get emails that say, can you tell me when um, Joseph Smith married the second 15-year-old and when was it the rich, and they give me this big long thing or I get these requests. Can you take and compare the medieval, um, like master's thesis level things? And then oftentimes I don't respond because Lindsay, can, can, you, can you back me up on this? Yes. I get, I would, if I would have to spend an, an hour to two hours every day answering my email. Um, and so I oftentimes don't, right, Nate? <laughs> Nate sent me two emails I haven't answered. Um, so I'll get, I'll get the follow-up email, you big dick. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I bring this up because... Yeah, and well, can I, can I just talk about the follow-up email? So because people like you and I are out there now and people think that they know us because we talk about it, they'll, they'll say some terrible things. Like, like uh, I talked about my eating disorder on Mormon Stories, and uh, somebody came at me with an eating disorder dick, like... Well, it's no wonder that you're mentally ill. I'm like, what? People, people <laughs> Who scan does that. Lindsay and I. This is one of the reasons we talk to each other. People scan this podcast. Once again, not Mormons. They scan this podcast and they listen for any sign of weakness. And then they, if they want something, and it, it can be, it can be very strange things that they want. Um, and they'll 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 cough it right back at you. Um, so the reason I give that is, <laughs> wow, wow. <Our> life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so hard to be us, uh, us and Glen Glenneth Paltrow. We, we have a hard time. Right. We're right up there. <laughs> the reason we bring this up is, is what, what the, what differentiates Lindsay and I from other people out there. There's people who are smarter. There's people who are probably better organized. There's definitely people better answering email, but we are working towards creating a collective organization. We recognize the power in numbers. And the problem is it's easy to scan any organization, look for their faults and say, Hey, you know, you guys, you know, you guys are, are, you're not perfect, but people like to point that out. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I have all sorts of problems. 
We what? talk about them often. Yes, on the <laughs> podcast, they're 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 laid out there. I, I I don't I don't make any, but 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 you still have to work around those human things and and collectivize to make make things happen, even with flawed individuals. And I know I know we all suffered under the hands of flawed organizations. I know we all have felt that bitter sting, but we're not going to get anything done. By just sitting around and bitching about it all the time, we have to organize ourselves to get up against the big money that's out there. And can I say something about that? So my thing is, I, I cut the church some slack with their programs because I know it's run by m- mostly men. Um, and, and so it's flawed, right? So I'm like, yeah, well, if I were in their position, I would make some, I would make some mistakes too. And I think the thing that makes people mad is they, they don't say it's run by men. They say it's run by God, right? So don't take that narrative and be like, well, they say they're perfect. Now I expect this new organization to be perfect. Just get used to it. God is not running organizations. He's uh, he's busy finding another wife for another planet. If Brigham Young is to be believed. Determining who's going to win the next sporting event. That's yeah. right. He's well, helping some some keys. woman in Tennessee. Yep. Look at how many spirits Start are on this car. planet. Like, there's a refractory period, right? <laughs> I mean, he's got to collect his strength. <laughs> hey, John, I, I just want to offer an alternate point of view as well because I know you're all we have a panel of very organized people and I'm a somewhat antisocial unorganized person um, and another way to impact change um, as a human and individually is through art and I would just ask that we recognize that 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 um, artistically uh, often many throughout history antisocial individuals have impacted great change um, through their artistic endeavors. And that's another way that we can impact the world, but without organization. I, I think that's a great point. And I'm going to, I'm going to applaud you on Creation. it. And then I'm going to come back to it in, in a little bit. Cause I, I think, I think that's important. So we talked about collectivization. We mentioned money, but we need to talk about money. We're in a capitalistic society and money is what does things. Money is what makes things happen. And there are causes that I believe in that I do not have the time or energy for. The HRC is one of them. Um, I'm, I'm straight, I think. And, um, so, but, but I support the cause, but it's not really my fight. Um, I'm happy to help out where I can, but my energies go elsewhere. So I write them a check. It's that simple. And with that check, they can hire secretaries and they can hire, uh, lobbyists and they can have somebody mow their lawn and they can do whatever they need to do with it because that's what happens. And I find it surprising in these anarchist sort of worlds like like the atheists and the ex-Mormons, how we realize that when you buy an iPod, you don't look down at the Apple campus and say, holy shit, you know how much that stuff costs? They've got art in front of there that costs $100,000. I just threw these assholes 200 bucks. But if we see, like, Lindsay with a new pair of shoes, then we say, what, what is she doing with my money? Um, uh, so, so you have to realize that money, and Lindsay, you and I have talked about this, that, that, that the ex-Mormons who went after John DeLynn, because he was making $40,000 a year, uh, just, uh, just, just rubbed me really the, the wrong way. He's, he's working more than what, what most people work, and that's not very good money. And, and you have to pay people to have work done. That's the way things happen. And not only that, money is power in the United States. And you want to make any sort of change, be it 
political or whatnot, you have to have collective amounts of money. And there's scalar amounts. You know, what you can do with $10,000 is a lot different than what you can do with a million dollars. And the church is super well-funded. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. There was one day when John DeLynn and I got up to the top of the, of the um, podcast list on iTunes. And the next day, the church released 17 podcasts simultaneously. Um, and they had just tons of content. And they spent more in that week, I guarantee you, than our entire operating budget from now till the end of the world. And because they can. And you know what? All you assholes out there listening to this podcast, you paid for it. I gave the church tons of money. Right? I was thinking on the way over here, we should all redeem ourselves by giving to some charity every dollar we gave to the church because we are part of the problem. We paid for all that shit out there. <clears throat> Thanks again, Bishop, for making us feel guilty. <laughs> well, this is me. I, I'm frustrated at myself. The, the, what you're hearing in my own voice is frustration because I'm thinking right now about those checks that I gave when I had no money, when I was a poor, starving student with little kids, no money. And now I have money and I give shit away. I'm, am, I am selfish and I burn my own money on things like food. And, and, but there was a time when I made huge sacrifices to this goddamn church. And am I doing the same thing for causes I believe in more now? No. Can I, can I come in and be good cop? Yes. It's okay out there, little lambs. You didn't, it wasn't your fault. (laughs) You didn't mean to do it. You were just doing what you thought was right. And as they say, I think it's Maya Angelou says, you do the best you can, and when you know better, you do better. I suppose, yes. You're right. Thank you. So don't beat yourself up, John. Well, it, it, it is, because I, I mean, I understand the way the world works now. Better than I did then, now I'm not doing as much as I could do. You know, to That's make right, sure. you guys. John Larson isn't doing anything. I didn't say uh, well, that. Do you even I, know about Mormonism? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one, money, money and collectivization. The next one I think is very important, which is pick your fights. There are, there's a lot of, and, and on a podcast like this, I have the luxury of fighting about everything, all the little nitpicky stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that's not worth fighting out. And I think if we can choose the right places, I I mean, I've told you before, I don't believe in reforming the church. So on on that grounds, I'm, I'm sort of not with the, the, the ordained women movement, but this is a great example of picking your fight and picking it well. That they have looked for an opportunity that resonates with culture, that resonates with the press. They've played their hand right for the most part. They've, they've shown themselves to not be overbearing, but at the same time be firm. This is a great example of waiting for a good moment to strike. And that there are times in the past when if they would have tried this, it would have fallen on, on, on deaf ears. The fact that it was a righteous cause and was a righteous cause a year ago or five years ago kind of doesn't matter. You need to do it at the right time. I've lost my faith in uh, doing good for an outcome because outcomes are so complicated, just like the problems are complicated. So this is my cliche, bear with me, but I do things because of the change that it makes in me and in the lives around me, Right. Ordained women is a good example for that. I don't want to ask those men for anything because I feel like that reinforces their power. But anytime there's a local women's issue that affects me and my family, I'm going to be involved with that. These are women organizing, asking for equality, and it will affect all of us in some way, even if it's a small way. Why wouldn't we want to show up for that? For for me, that is why, because 
it's going to change things. It's, is it going to change the church? Do I think the church is going to ordain women? Probably not. Maybe, maybe down the road. Absolutely. But definitely not now, but I don't care. I don't care if it ordains women. I care about it empowering the women. It's definitely Mormon feminism has definitely changed me and empowered me to, to speak my voice. So for me, I don't care if the church responds or not. That's not my issue. It's how it's affected me and empowered me. Well, this goes back to my debate issue. The debate is never about who you're debating. And this, the church forgets this all the time. When they park that fucking dump truck in front of the women, it just showed that they lost the fight right then. Because what they should be thinking all the time is not what these, 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 these women in front of them look like, you know, with their mascara running and stuff. They need to be thinking of how this plays on the two, on the 10 o'clock news. And, and, and that's what's important is. Yes, the 10 o'clock news is coming. Let's park a garbage truck in front of these women. <laughs> that That'll help. Panic. They just That'll panic. help. Well, the, like the, a real strategist would know whatever happens right now doesn't matter. It's how it is perceived, how it plays out. And that goes to this pick the fight sort of thing. And people who know what they're doing against the church are going to wait and let the church shoot themselves in the foot because they will every time. You just have to set the table to allow them to do it, right? And um, unfortunately, once again, the Tom Phillips case, I respect Tom. I respect the people who got involved. But the, the, if they would have spent a little bit or approached it a little bit different to, to set – because they set the lawyers up to play the martyr card. And and if they would have done, gone about it a different way, I think they could have let the church just hang itself. You know, What do you think they should have done differently? Um, I think that they, sh- if they wanted to go after fraud, they should have found an example of real fraud. Um, and I think there were some elements that, um, from what I understand about the case, there's some elements of, um, that, um, where the church kind of instructed mission presidents to do things that might have been a little bit dicey. And if they would have led with that, but instead they led with like the Noahic flood and stuff like that. Um, so that immediately turned everybody off. They lost the case as soon as they did that. So, so talking about real deception, look, how do you bring down gangsters? You bring them down with the IRS code. That's, that's how you're going to go after the church. They're going to make some m- mistake that way. Um, you know, I've, I've said here, I'll say it again. Um, the church is an ATM. If you're a woman between the age of, I don't know, um, 12 and menopause, all you have to do is say, um, the, just call for sexually inappropriate, um, behavior on the account of the bishop. The door's fucking closed, right? You got $30,000 right there from the lawyer. The lawyers will come down and they'll pay you silence money. They've done it over and over again. Go call the press, say, this guy, ecclesiastical abuse, He was. you don't have to even say anything. Just say he was inappropriate, which he is if he's asking about it, if you're touching yourself. I see what you're saying, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, my heart goes out to those poor bishops who did not ask for this. Look, okay, it's 2014. I, it would have gone out to, my heart would have gone out to them in 1986. Don't shut the door. You guys know better now. Um, there's this no- is like the greatest news ever. I, my one takeaway tonight is going to be to tell every LDS woman I know <laughs> to say that their bishop was inappropriate when the door was closed. Right. Ordain women, you want to know how you how you affect change? I am going to go on record or saying I do not think that this is a good idea. <laughs> I'm not saying to do it. Listen, I'm just saying we in talk about it all the time, and uh, we talk about ecclesiastical abuse. Uh, Levina Fielding Anderson was excommunicated for chronicling stories of this. But you want to affect change. You empower individuals. That's how you affect change. 
I was talking about getting some money for her. <laughs> Money's pretty important. Beer money. I was, <laughs> <laughs> all right. $30,000. I don't drink, so what would $30,000 get you in beer? I don't know, but it, it could That's be amazing. Depends on, <laughs> depends on what you're drinking. That's probably several weekends. <laughs> First of all, it implies a trip to Bavaria is where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the rear echelon. The, the, in the rear with the gear. Um, the, 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 once again, using a good example of the ordained women movement, there's a lot of stuff going on that you're not hearing about. And these guys are organized in their own sort of collective way. They're organized and there's a lot of work going on that you don't see. Um, and any organization that makes things happen, there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that you don't know about. And, and it, it doesn't even, Unless you've worked at a place like that or done something like that, it doesn't even register. I mean, even this little shithole studio represents thousands of hours of work to get to this point. And so what I'm saying is to make real change, there there are oftentimes a lot of unsexy work that has to be done and unglamorous work. And I guarantee you, anybody you find who is successful, be they somebody like John Stewart or um, Barack Obama or whatever, there's tons and tons and tons of work and labor that they did that you do not see. And we have this sort of perception that success just randomly falls on people. Now, for... But it's just simply not true. You have to sleep with people. You have to pay people oh, off. You have to bribe people, right? Extortion yes. is hard work. Um, it is. So the supply lines are what wins wars. Uh, there's a great book out there, um, and I think they made a PBS series out of it about oil. It's called, um, I can't remember. But um, I'll, I'll post it or something. But the book basically argues that the, the, the wars, World War I and World War II, were won and lost by oil. But matter of fact, it inspired the kamikazes, right? Because they would only fill up their planes halfway with gas. They didn't have enough gas to fly back because they were running out of gas. So if you've got a bunch of planes sitting around with no gas to run them, you, you, because we effectively shut down the Japanese fuel supply lines, well, what else you do? You drive them into, you fly them into um, uh, the enemy ships. It was a brilliant strategy. It's all about these. Um, supply lines. How did Napoleon get, um, so, you know, and the same thing happened to the, to, to the Germans. They got way ahead of their supply lines. They couldn't get refueled. They couldn't get ammunition. They couldn't get what they needed. My point is the attacks on things like these unhealthy organizations that are going to pay off are ones that are going to be well fueled and well supplied and they're going to be organized. Dan, are you guys associated with a national organization? Uh, we're an affiliate of American Atheists. So what, what do you get from that? Support primarily. You know, they're, they've got the convention coming, so they've ponied up advertising for us ahead of the convention. You know, they've, they've coordinated, offered us tips in organizing, things like that. But, you know, you know, people think that any organization, be it the national organization or even just a, a state level organization like Atheists of Utah, you know, they, they, they seem to have this impression that we have, you know, tons of money in the bank. That, right. you know, money's just rolling in. We, we, we don't know what to do with all of this money that we've got coming in. And that's just not true at all. I mean, 
I dump personally. That's because you didn't pay your tithing. <laughs> you know, I dump personally so much money into this organization that people just, they have no idea about. You know, it, it's so much of my own personal time and money and effort. It's, it's, it's a labor of love. It's something that I like doing. It's something I enjoy doing. It's something that I want to see succeed. And so I'm willing to give that time and effort and money. You know, people think that, you know, oh, well, I gave you $20, you know, last year. <laughs> Right. And so I should, you know, tell you where we're going to host, you know, whatever party or, or, or monthly brunch or whatever we're going to do. John and I have mentioned this many times. You know, the, the, the problem that I have running my board is, uh, all of the money is coming out of my pocket at the moment. Every dollar that is spent to, you know, buy domain names and hosting services and all that, that all comes out of my Guys, give pocket. Thane some money. Come no, on, wait, you cheapskate. Stop it. Because uh, it's it's like, you know, Dan and, and John have both said, uh, uh, the money obliges you. And, and so the reason that it all comes out of my pocket is because then I don't owe anybody anything. And I can be an asshole and I can ban you on the board even if you <laughs> – because you didn't give me five bucks last week. I don't know. I think that that plays into the, that reinforces a narrative that I reject. So it does it. Well, they I, come, they're staying at your hotel for free and then they complain that, you know, your knife is well, dirty. And they do. They do. Uh, they, knife? they still complain, but you know, the complaint is not quite as valid when I'm paying the bills, right? So it, it shuts people up. Um, they, they can't do that. However, having said that, I put a six pack of beer in your fridge last week and mm. I, I'm not getting any of that back, right? Is that, is that, <laughs> so, that was somebody else. Yeah, that was. No, um, but, uh, uh, you're right. The, the money is power. And, and that's what I'm acknowledging is the money that I put into my organization. Uh, makes me powerful. It makes me absolute, unquestioned ruler of my organization. Well, I, I want to say one thing, though. The church's power is not all derived from money. It's, mm-hmm. at least locally, it's ideology. And I'm telling you, I really think if we wanted a revolution, you have every ex-Mormon, anti-Mormon, anyone that's ever been Mormon start calling themselves Mormon. And anytime they go in the press, they identify themselves as Mormon. <laughs> you see how the church is going to really flounder at their narrative. I mean, as long as we continue to reinforce their narrative, I know I keep saying that, then we're giving them power that they don't have. I mean, as long as we keep thinking that the bishop is a scary guy and that uh, he has power over us to, to call us into his office or not, then we're giving them power. So that is the power I'm talking about funding, um, is well, this the, ideological power. And they're, they're going to have that power a lot of the time whether you decide to call yourself a Mormon or not. I mean, I had served on the board for Atheists of Utah for more than a year while the LDS Church still had my name on the membership role. You know, they're they're not going to take anybody off of their... Well, I won't... I guess they do nope. take people off of their sometimes, but, yeah, but they want to hang on to every single member they possibly can. And, and what does it matter? Like, I don't care if they, they count me or not. It's, it doesn't matter. Well, it's a perception thing. It's, uh, you know, we have X, X number of millions of adherents and, and our church is growing because our message is strong and true and, and we're prospering and everything is sunshine and roses. Do you think they would say that anyway? Because, yep. I mean, we already know the numbers are wrong, so they're gonna, they're gonna play to their best hand. And all I'm saying is live happy, healthy lives, feel empowered, and, uh, <coughs> 
Well, Drink you, lots of beer, apparently. You you talk about mm, beer is beer. yummy. You talk about um, not like scotch is yummy though. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talk about the, what the church does and how you know how they empower and their narrative. And I think this is key. And this is sort of my, what my 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 final point on things that work. You know, people who accuse this podcast of um, being anti Mormon, I am offended. I am offended, You're choosing sir. To be offended, John. Because if I wanted to attack the church. I would attack the church where their power is, and their power is not derived from all this bullshit that we're making fun of all the time. The reason that we make fun of all this bullshit Mormonism stuff is to help people realize that they're not screwed up, that the narrative was screwed up, and that they're normal, that that they can get onto a normal life. The church derives its power from what it does for people, not what it tells people. People are not Mormons because they believe the book of Abraham to be true. And this is, this is very key because there's tons of ex-Mormons that say, if I can just show those Mormons that the book of Abraham is not true, then they will all leave the church. Never is there a more missed um, point because people aren't in religions because it makes sense to them. People are in religions because the religions helped them pay for the education of their daughter who has Down syndrome that the religion rallied around them when their mother died and provided for the funeral, that the religion was there and, and gave them meaning when their child was born and gave them a baby blessing. The church was there and helped them raise their children. The church was there for them when they lost their job and they needed some food, that the church takes care of their neighbor who's, who's severely autistic, that the church... Churches reach out to these disenfranchised populations, and I have been guilty of this just like everybody else has, that we have a lot of these get-togethers. And I doubt that the atheists, an organization I, I admire, does a lot of outreach to convalescent homes. No, we, we volunteer at, at a, a bunch of different locations, but I don't know that we've actually been to a convalescent home yet. But, and that's one of the reasons you guys are here, because you're tonight. I mean, you're organized to the level that you're actually doing that. And you give people an identity, which is what Mormonism gave all of us. It crafted us an identity, which you talked about in the last podcast. Right. But that's what you guys have, is you have an identity. Well, yeah. And we, I mean, we try to provide a social structure that, you know, people lose when they leave their religion. You know, a lot of people, particularly in the LDS faith, that, that consumes so much of their time and so much of their life that when they leave that behind, they leave behind a huge chunk of their life. And then this was our topic from last time. And and you guys are our leaders on, on this. But, but so much of what the faith is, is about what they do. And how they are being in the world, not necessarily about all these little narrative things. So this goes kind of sums this whole thing up is we attack all these little things that they'll just switch the narrative. Um, very quickly, the Book of Mormon doesn't matter. The, the Book of Abraham doesn't matter. Um, things like, you know, male female identity that matters because it helps define out what the way the culture is. But all these things, these services that the church provide to the disenfranchised, and you study the history of religion, that's where they spread first. Christianity was so powerful because it empowered a whole disenfranchised population in Rome. And, and that's what gave it its gas. You want to know what the, the biggest wake up call for me was when I start, I was struggling with historical issues and I stopped attending church and my bishop wanted to meet with me to know why somebody, a very prominent feminist said, 
tell him, no, no thanks. I'd rather not meet with you. And I was like, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't tell him no. And uh, I wish I would have taken her advice because, of course, I went in and we spent hours and hours arguing. And here's the thing. like Now when my bishop calls me and he called me in about wording women, I said, no thanks. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. You don't have to be part of these these things. You, you don't d- have to submit yourself. To what, I, what I tell people he's on just that, your neighbor. He has, he's not equipped for this kind of stuff. Yeah. You'll get a call. This is really this is fun to do, actually. So those of you out there, you'll get a call from the executive secretary. who will say, "Can you meet with the bishop?" And then you say, "Yeah, have him come over on Thursday." <laughs> and like, no, 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 no. You need to go to his office. Oh no, then you can have him come over on Wednesday and just keep playing that game with them. You know, like act like they're normal. Like like normally people wouldn't call you and summon you to their office. They would say, "Can we?" So you just keep playing that game. Oh well, Saturday we're having some people over for dinner, but maybe if he brings a bottle of wine, he can come. You know, just keep just keep it up for as long as you possibly. Eventually, the secretary will get confused and, and hang up um okay so we identity very clear that's what we talked about last week and that's what you were talking about and the extension of identity is community so i think to to really make an impact on on the church um you know i'm not i don't pretend on this point we have to build those communities for ourselves and for those around us and that's the key to that that transition to 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 have a place for identity and, and bringing all these things together. Those take money. They take structure. They take organization. They take the, um, they, they, they clarity of vision. They take leadership <laughs> and they take people doing rear echelon sort of not very sexy, not very fun things to do. And, um, and wiggle room for mistakes. When, when I first got here in this grand studio in my domain, I went and washed the dishes. That was the first thing I did when I got here. There's a lot. You power hungry. There's a lot of rear echelon (laughs) stuff that needs to be done all the time. Okay. So, so let's talk specifically about organizations. There are great humanist organizations out there like, like, like the, the, the the atheists. Tell, tell us, you, you guys have the national conference coming here to Salt Lake. Yeah, the American Atheists Convention will be here, uh, the weekend of the 18th to 20th. Pretty excited about that. So, so yeah, just a couple, uh, couple week, a uh, couple weeks from now. Um, Are you guys going to toilet paper the temple or anything? Anything? <laughs> anything? That, that wasn't that wasn't on our schedule yet. Um, you know, there, there's a there's a lot of events and activities surrounding you that. You won't get caught now because they don't allow press cameras on <laughs> Temple Square. That's right. How are they going to record any of that? Um, no, you know, we, we've got some, some other events scheduled around the convention too for those people who, you know, may not be able to attend or, or may not be able to afford attendance. Uh, we've got a bar crawl scheduled, uh, during the time that the convention is going on. Um, we've got a mass resignation event that is happening this Sunday. Great. That should be a lot of fun. Um, have a bunch of people marching around Temple Square during General Conference weekend. Excellent. So proud hey, of so the, do we. So proud of the fact that they've resigned from the LDS Church. That'll be a lot of fun. Not quite the same, but yes. <laughs> um, I just had an idea for a, a protest. We'll wait till all the rest of you guys, all the rest of Yahoo's clear out. Let's all dress Amish and just like hats and the, like the little blonde beards without the mustaches and just have a bunch of people in Amish just to confuse people around there. 
Churning butter, yeah, spinning yeah. wool. We won't ask for anything or, or do anything. We'll just have little buggies and just go around and tip and, our hat. And don't day. people confuse Mormons and, and the Amish people? Isn't this a common thing? It's, I'm, I got this from you because you're saying we should all insist that we're Mormons. I like that. That's that's the best idea I've ever heard from you, Lindsay. You hear that Amish people insist that you're Mormons. Okay. It'll help a brother out. So there are there are, there are, <laughs> there are organizations out there. I think a great organization, um, the the Mormon Stories Foundation. Now I once again I'm not a church reformer, but this is an organization that that has a spot and has been doing a great thing. And they need they need money. They need support. The Ex Mormon Foundation. I know people who who have been doing that, and they're limited by the amount of participation they get in leadership. That there's many things that they could do, but they just don't have enough volunteers. They don't have enough money. And let's talk about um, let's talk about Whitefields for a minute. I think that um, I, I did type, type type in my notes for all these sort of people. There's a term in Buddhism called, um, and I know the Bali stuff better. Um, bohit, uh, it's called a bohitsata, which is somebody who has basically on the path to enlightenment, but before they reach nirvana, they turn around. And they're kind of like a saint. They, they help other people. And though that's all of you guys out there, the people who process through. When we talked last week about the three stages of Mormon identity, there's this last stage where you've, you've, you've grown out of that anger and you're ready to move on and establish this new identity. But we do need collectively as a community, some of those people, if not all those people to give a, a throwback and, and, and help things out. We're, we're, we're dependent upon that. Um, and so, so when, as I've gone through my own arc and my own narrative of this podcast, I, I, you know, I told you earlier in the podcast, I'm sick of Mormonism. Um, and I keep going and I'm, I'm pushing this energy. Mormon expression funds for the most part, Whitefields. So rather than me take the money and go to Barbados, um, I'm build, I'm trying to build this organization up and, and what we want to do is we want to empower these things. Jen brought up art. When we set up Whitefields, um, we, we, we had four areas that, that, that we wanted to support. Media, like the podcasts. Counseling, which Lindsay has been driving. We've been doing wonderful things there. Community and scholarship. We've got some great things coming up with those two. But one of the visions that Jen, I think you knew and we're hitting at, thank you, was that when we sold the idea of Whitefields, that what we wanted was to have a bucket of money so that people who want to start podcasts or other forms of art, whatever they be, be they film or music or whatever, that's going to reach people and help them in this transition, that we can kickstart those things. And we have done that more than once. Um, so more than one time I've taken the money that has been paid to me for, for Mormon Expression and funded other projects. Um, because it's not all about me. I'm going to reach a certain segment of the population, a small segment of the population. Lindsay's going to reach an entirely different segment of the population. And that's one of our goals is to try to form that collectivization so that we can then go out and fund these individual things that, that can, that can meet the needs of certain people. So what our hope is to form these umbrella organizations. We're one. Mormon Stories is one. There's a lot of great things out there. Uh, the, the humanists, the atheists, there's all these organizations that they're not ostensibly about what they believe. They're about how do we build up this structure? How do we build up this world? Because until we do that, the religions are going to keep winning because they're the only ones in that space.
how many atheist hospitals are out there? How many atheist um, daycare centers are out there? Now, the tides are changing. They are, there are some now. But for so long, this was all the domain of religions. And until we can really start building that social infrastructure that religions have stolen from us, that they've co-opted from, from us, then we, we can't really do anything. So I would say find things that you believe in and support those. And we have a collective energy here. I'm, I'm enthusiastic. We, we, we saw this. Um, Mormon Expression um, went from 50,000 downloads in December to 90,000 downloads for the month of March. That's an 80% increase. Um, and I just get excited about what we can possibly do with that, right? That, um, and, and, and I don't begrudge. It's, it's available for free. And it's, it will always be that way. But if we can collectivize that in just a little bit, good God, if, 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 um, give me a couple hundred thousand dollars and we'll start seeing some incredible things happen. Because the things that we can do with that money, the people that we can empower, the, there was conspiracy theories in January when, when the, my site went offline. It was, a, it had, it was suffered a cyber attack. And it was offline for like a week and a half. Do you know why it was offline for a week and a half? Because there was nobody around. Everybody who, who knew how to fix it was busy. <laughs> we were all doing our regular stuff, right? Because we don't have enough money to pay, you know, somebody to monitor that stuff all the time. It's, it's when people get around to it. It's, it's when they volunteer the time. And the church, for example, has buildings full of people who don't even have a full day's worth of work that they get paid for. And just if, if we can get a little bit of that back in December and the call was met, but I started that 1% campaign, just give me, and I, I think I even said, give me, you gave the church 10%, give me 1%. Now I'm saying, give me 1% of what you gave the church. And if, if, if our 90,000 download people were to do that, oh my God, the things we could do. The amazing things that could happen. And it's not just me. It doesn't have to be Whitefields. There's other organizations. And what I'm imploring you all is to find something you believe in. HRC. What, what, there's a plenty of causes out there. Find one and throw them a little bit of something. Can I end this on a beautiful metaphor? Please. I, and I get this from Richard Dutcher. And you've probably all heard it talking about this Buddhist metaphor I don't look at the church as like stealing anything from me. He said the church was a boat that helped me across the river. And now I'm, now I'm across the river and I don't need to get back on the boat. And I, th and I think that that's a healthy way to look at it. The, the church got you across this water, this river, this lake, and now there's mountains and forests and trees to go explore. Like go do it, go climb it, go use that energy and, uh, do that by building and creating and, and, uh, Sometimes you can go look back on the shores. I think that's what we do. Try to help people uh, across the river. But yeah, go climb a mountain. Yes, so thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, once again, I, I didn't mean this critically to those things out there. And, 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 and I've, I've participated in all those and continue to participate. But I think. In, in my estimation, I, I, one of the benefits from this job is I've been able to meet literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the church is losing some of the best. 
there's others that Lindsay and I joke around sometimes. The church should send us a thank you note, but that's another that's an, <laughs> that's another story. But the church is losing some of the best, and and we're fatigued. The church used us up, spat us out, and we don't want to be burned again. We don't want to be uh, we don't want to be taken advantage of the way we were. But I, I think just like in a good relationship, we have to make ourselves a little bit vulnerable to that and say, you know what, I'm going to find a cause that I believe in and I'm going to build a better world. And I, I, I think that's what we have to do. Yep, and it won't be the same again because you know better, so you do better this time. Right, right, for sure. All right, well, as always, the discussion continues over on the webpage at mormonexpression.com. You can check us out there. Um, special thanks to Randy Perry. I, oh, I was going to put that announcement. I, I've... Um, as we grow, you know, I, I said we're at 90,000 downloads. One of the problems, and Mormon Expression has run into this problem before in the past, is we become a victim of our own success. And there is a point that, um, we, I, 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 you know, with 90,000 downloads, we need more infrastructure. There's more, we're more of a target by, by, by these, um, outside, um, hackers and things like that. That's just an example. So it does take more to build. And, and Randy has now, um, agreed, um, to be the producer. Um, and he is paid completely out of the donations. So things, I just want to make clear when you give um, a subscription to Mormon Expression, the kind of things it goes to, which is to help have a producer who takes a lot of weight off my shoulders. Yay, he does a lot of Randy. work. All right. So thanks to Randy, who's also ran our sound tonight. And thanks to everybody involved. Uh, thanks to the audience. Have a good night, everybody. Mormon Expression is a production of the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Visit us online at whitefieldseducational.org 